0: And gospel with Dr. Hilissa Elwine. Join us around our Shabbat dining table as we explore the Torah portion. Okay, Shabbat shalom, everybody. We're back. So let's let's review a little bit. When we left off uh, before Shavuot, and if you've noticed, the the lessons leading up to Shavuot were very much centered on Shavuot as the center of the feasts. You know, they're the it's the fourth feast. It doesn't matter which side you start from. There's seven feasts. You count from either side. It's the fourth one, which gives it a, a position of authority. And so the One of the principles behind Shavuot, which you're commemorating two major things, the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai, the making of the covenant. And then number two, it's a celebration of the wheat harvest. And the wheat harvest is very significant because there's a change between the first fruits of the barley that's brought in during the week of Pesach or Passover and the the wheat that's the first fruits of which is brought in at Shavuot. There's a maturity there. So we'll talk a little bit more about that and how Shavuot, now that we have Shavuot in the rearview mirror, and we're looking forward to the fall feast, we need to become very serious about growing in the elementary principles. And so the, the things that you have already established, those are your elementary principles. You should be perfectly familiar with salvation. You should be able to lead somebody else to salvation at this point in your journey. Uh, You're learning the commandments. How far you've waded into the commandments, it's probably a range. Everybody, you know, from people just beginning to people who probably know more about the commandments than I do. So there's a spectrum there. But no matter where you are, every year it's your opportunity to grow from the milk that you're in into the meat. And so referring to Hebrews 5, 12, and 13, the writer of the Hebrews, whoever it might be, says, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed. That word there means inexperienced. They're inexperienced to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. So every year you are going to have a chance to grow from your new infancy. Every cycle of the feast, every year, uh, you'll go back into the kingdom like a newborn baby, and you will be given a new set of tasks, a new set of principles, another level to engage. And the the people to whom this writer is writing, apparently, I I hate to call it backslidden, but they've just not grown. And if we see that every year he's going to start us off as babies again, now, it doesn't mean that we need need to go back to the very first things, the things that we already know. It means that we're probably going to be babies relative to the new things that we learn. And so we haven't been experienced in those new things yet. So we're kind of babyfied as it pertains to the, the next level that we could learn, uh, to the deeper meanings of the commandments that we could learn. And these folks Not only have they they not grown, apparently they really have a need to go back and revisit the basic principles. And that's not uncommon. You know, when people start studying the Torah and they really get into the deeper things, it's easy to lose your way. You forget the foundations. You forget the foundations of salvation. There's, There's so many basic principles. And because we're fascinated with the new things that we're learning, we start running everywhere. My my example is that, especially with the internet, even though we're using the internet, there's a downside to using the internet for study and not meeting with a fellowship once a week to study the Torah portions. Because the Torah portions each week will help your roots to go down. Your roots will go down and you will mature. But if you're relying on the internet exclusively and you're not being challenged with that growth within a community which is the pattern of the Torah there is no other pattern to gather with a community of like-minded people for your growth and because we just run all over the place reading the things or trying to learn the things that are interesting to us in the moment our roots may not go down they may just keep running out and out and out they the roots might be running on top of the ground so you might have lots of root work but if a big storm comes It's real easy to get ripped up. And the deeper your roots go into the Torah portions, the more you're able to internalize the rest of the scripture because the rest of the scripture is based upon it. And so it is possible that you knew the elementary things and all of a sudden, now you need the milk again because you're not really being established in your faith. You're not being experienced in it. You're learning lots of stuff, but you're not doing it. There's no practical application to what you're learning. And there's a lot of stuff that um, people learning the Torah, they, they get lured into because it looks good, you know, it's interesting, it's brain candy, but the roots won't go down. You're not going to bear much fruit if you know everything there is to know about that. But if you know everything there is to know about a commandment, the the foundational scriptures, there's a really good chance you will be bearing good fruit because the roots go deep. And even in times of famine, those roots, those tap roots will be way down where there's good water, right? So that was a, a pattern that's going to help us understand how the the feasts are designed to help us grow, to grow each year. Uh, we might think we're grown up, but then as we start on that journey of the feasts again, he'll grow us up again, everybody comes into the kingdom as a little child. There's there's no reason for arrogance. You might say, well, you know, I've memorized five books of the Bible, or I, I speak perfect Hebrew, or I can, you know, read Hebrew. I can do this. I can do that. We have to be really careful what we're proud of because every year we have to go back into our study like a little child and become experienced at a deeper level. So there's no reason to be proud of what you know when he's going to ask you to know more things and become experienced in more things each year. So we're going to look at a particular blessing that was given to one of the tribes of Israel and see how that patterns for us, our growth, so that it becomes a never-ending cycle. We we constantly keep going through those, those phases of infancy, a, a young adulthood I think they call it young adult today, but, you know, youth and then maturity and then old age, not in the terms with not as it means like being <laughs> just uh, old and useless because nothing works anymore. But the better things of attaining old age, which is wisdom, experience. And that's the whole goal. The whole goal is for you to be an old person and that sounds weird i know because in in our society generally older people are devalued because it's felt like they're just a drain on everybody that they're not really putting thing anything back in but it's because we don't listen to them often and the experience is the attainment you you take that head knowledge and you you experience and so you know things That may be a youth who's simply learned the commandment, but has not become experienced in it. That's the value of old age in the spiritual sense. You know, in the natural sense, it means that our knees hurt. (laughs) Our fingers don't work like they used to. We need lots of vitamins and things. (laughs) But in the kingdom, it's not that way. You enjoy the best of those stages of growth, uh, not the, the effects of a fallen natural world. All right, so this lion obviously means something, right? So let's go back to Shavuot. Shavuot's going to be our pattern to show us how these phases of growth work. With the understanding that neither Paul when he writes to people about growing up and and moving past the milk to the meat, the writer to the Hebrews telling people, "Hey, look, you've regressed. You you should have been teachers yourselves. You should have been able to eat the meat." of maturity and old age, but instead, you're just nursing. And so, what does that have to do with anything? Well, in Acts chapter 2 at Shavuot, remember one of the traditions is, and I think Acts 2 bears that out, that at Mount Sinai, the Torah was offered to all the nations. And out of all the nations, there was a remnant among each nation that they desired that covenant, but only Israel as a nation, an entire nation said, we will do and we will hear. So they were given the Torah to guard, to keep. And the nations would have to come through Israel in order to be joined to the covenant. And then in Acts chapter two, we can see this is exactly you know, what we're seeing is exactly what the tradition is, is that you've got proselytes who have come into Jerusalem from the nations to celebrate Shavuot. They're already on the journey. They're moving in, not moving out. So this has to to be part of that remnant. And a way was made for them to come in. And the proselytes from the nations, they could take this message back to the nations and speak the languages, know the culture, and begin to evangelize. So one of the the things we do is, uh, along with the verses from Psalm 119, as you're counting the days of the Omer, you also read Psalm 67. Psalm 67, because you can see that growth there. as, As we move from Passover to Shavuot, which is going to open the covenant to the nations and the remnant among the nations, Psalm 67 is read each day during this count to remind Israel to look, you know, these people will be coming, keep your eyes open and look for them. And these peoples too are expected to mature in the covenant. If this is what they want, then they will then, once they're they're brought into the covenant, yes, they will start out with milk like everyone else, but they will begin to mature in their cycles as well. And the goal is to mature to a state of Sukkot. We'll just kind of make that term up for now. Mature to a state of Sukkot. And here's a little bit of Psalm 67 that would help us understand why the nations are coming in. It says, God be gracious to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us. Selah. And that's our Torah portion this week. It contains the ironic benediction. And here's this remnant of the benediction. And even though that benediction is used to bless the children of Israel, let's look at the rest of the song. That your way may be known on the earth, your salvation among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you will judge the peoples with uprightness and guide the nations on the earth. Selah. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you the earth has yielded its produce. The people are the produce of Shavuot. God, our God, blesses us. God blesses us that all the ends of the earth may fear him. So along with Shavuot, it's not just for the children of Israel, a reminder that it's time to grow up again. It's time to grow again, mature again into the the mature produce. See, the earth has yielded its produce. It's yielded its people. And so out there with these peoples, the nations, they will be called in too. A way will be made to call them in. And then they, in turn, will acquire his way. It says that your way may be known on the earth. How can his way be known if those who are in covenant do not mature in his word, in his way? His way is the word, by the way. And so it it takes the peoples to be involved in this process in order to take that word of salvation back to the peoples and in turn, in turn start new cycles of growth among the peoples. So here's just a basic paradigm, a basic drawing, if if you're able to see it, uh, using the menorah, using the, the basic seven-branch menorah as a template. And You know, as you look for the feast information, you can find it in Deuteronomy 16, 9 through 10, also Deuteronomy 16, 13 through 17, as you're looking over into the fall feast, Leviticus 23, 33 through 44, the feasts are all over the place, but those are good places to start. So we see there's a a week of Passover, a week of Passover, plus one day, plus one day. You say, where does the plus one day Come from? Well, if we read very technically in the Torah, there's going to have to be certain conditions in order to offer the Passover lamb. And so the Chametz would have to be cleared out technically the day before the first day of Passover. That would be part of the process. So we're adding an extra day to the front end of Passover, which is going to create eight days of Chag Hamasa, or unleavened bread. And it's during that week that we offer the first fruits of the barley. On the other side, the twin to Passover is going to occur during Sukkot, because Sukkot is an eight-day festival. There are seven days that you live in the Sukkah. And then in the eighth day, you come out of the Sukkah and you're still going to rejoice. It's still part of Sukkot because it's the eighth day. If it weren't part of Sukkot, it would be its own day, but it is a special day. Nevertheless, it's attached to the first seven days. So it's a part, but the same. Uh, Kind of the same thing with that extra day on the front end of Pesach. It's a part because it's part of the cleaning process and preparation process, but not really part of the the things that the the offering of the lamb are going to kick off for seven days. So we've got these odd little eighth days that are part of, but set apart. That are matching. You've got a twin, you've got a pair there. Well, in the middle of them is going to be Shavuot, Shavuot, which is the Feast of Weeks. So, in the Feast of Weeks, of course, you bring in the wheat, you bring in the finest of wheat, you bring in the grain. You will have matured from the barley to the wheat. It's time to put away the milk. Of course, at Shavuot, the tradition is to eat dairy products. Not only is the land flowing with milk and honey, but Shavuot is a reminder to us that the fall feasts are only a summer away, and we need to have matured to our Sukkot. As we continue our walk, as we continue to walk in our sealing of the word, uh, and that's what uh, I believe it's Isaiah said, seal up the Torah among my disciples. That's what happens at the covenant. It's sealed up at Shavuot, and you have to continue walking from Shavuot. And so you, at this time, uh, you you should have collected all the barley, but you're just beginning to collect the wheat. Just beginning, because this is the first fruits of the wheat. There's going to be a large amount of wheat still out in the field. You're only bringing the first sheaves. So there will still be some maturity time for the, the wheat after su- after Shavuot. So if you're going to tithe off of this, you know, just thinking in practical terms, if you're going to tithe off uh, your barley, it's possible to do it at Shavuot. But it may not quite be ready yet. Because remember, you've been harvesting during this period. We tend, because we're removed from agriculture, and especially from the time period, we tend not to think about how much time it would take, not just to harvest a particular crop, but To manage it in terms of threshing it out, following that process, in terms of uh, putting it in containers in order to be counted, because only when you're done with that processing, whatever your gleaners eat uh, as they work, that doesn't count against your tithe. Uh, The people who are going into your corners and taking your corners out, that does not apply to the tithe. If, say, the ox, Is working and eats some of the wheat or the barley. That doesn't go into the calculation. Only when you've prepared everything, that's when you take an accounting, a reckoning, and it's from that that you would pay your tithe. And so that may not be done by Shavuot for the barley. It definitely will not be done for the wheat. You haven't had time yet. So at the end of days, right, think of each feast as having a high Sabbath, and these are going to be the special days. So at the end of days, at the time of Sukkot, you're going to have the Feast of in gathering for everything that you've been uh, not just harvesting, but processing for accounting. And of course, you don't uh, have to bring your tithes to the temple itself. That, that would be quite a, a feat to bring your whole tithe Into the temple, you brought the tithe into the storehouse. And in the Levitical cities or in your local city, you would have priests and Levites and you could take that tithe to them. Uh, It could be managed by them. It, It didn't have to be brought into the temple. That would be kind of onerous to manage. Would you bring first fruits? Sure, you could bring your first fruits into the temple. That's going to be way more manageable. And so with processing time, At Shavuot, now you're going to start harvesting wheat. You're going to start processing wheat. The grapes will begin to ripen at Shavuot. Remember, there's lots of microclimates in the land of Israel. So depending on where the vineyard is planted, it might ripen sooner in the summer or later in the summer. Your olive oil won't be ready. The the olive trees are not ready. Uh, You might be collecting from the fruit of the ground. You might be collecting from the fruit of the tree. You're collecting all these things. And so processing continues through those summer months. So at Sukkot, at this time of maturity, you can uh, bring in your first fruits from the wine vat, from your grapes, from your threshing floor, because now you've had processing time. You can bring in from the fruit of the ground because your ground crops are going to be ready by then in terms of vegetables and so forth. And the fruit of the trees, except for the olive tree, should be ready by then. You've had processing time for everything. You've had a lot of work to do from Passover to Sukkot, but that's the feast of in-gathering. Okay, So you can see there's a maturity of everything right there. So let's look at the blessing on Judah from Genesis 49, 8 through 12, which helps us to envision this process of growing based on how the feasts fall in the year from just this minimal barley, which is considered animal food, by the way. Barley was considered animal food. To the wheat, which is fine. You know, that's that's a great offering. Uh, that's the staff of bread. Until by Sukkot, Everything has been brought in except one thing. And we're going to look at that one thing. But here's the blessing on Judah. And listen to how many times the lion is mentioned here. Judah, your brother shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down to you. Judah is a lion's whelp; From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He couches. He lies down as a lion and as a lioness. Who dares rouse him up? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until Shiloh comes. And Shiloh was thought to be the Messiah. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. To him shall be the obedience of the peoples. The peoples. Hmm. All those peoples out there that are coming into the covenant, that's not what most people like to hear. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's a portion I think a lot of people would like to skip over, but we can't because it's right there. To him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Primarily, you know, at the end of days, it will be to King Messiah. But King Messiah is part of this tribe and this blessing on Judah. He ties his spole to the vine. The vine is important here. Because remember the, the grapes, the first fruits of the grapes, they come in at Sukkot. So you know what time period this is tied to. And his donkey's cult to the choice vine, right? Again, that's taking you to Sukkot. And you say, well, wait a minute, wasn't there a thing at Passover where Yeshua uh, came riding on the, the cult of a donkey? Wasn't that Passover? It was. You see that embedded into this blessing? We think of Passover, if we've just read the Gospels, but if we know anything about the beginning of the book, the Torah, we know that, Oh, well, wait a minute, the, the vine, the grapes are not going to come in until Sukkot. But you'll notice that there's a, a similarity in what the people are doing. It says the, the people began to wave palm branches and to say, hoshiana as Yeshua writes this donkey in. This is the language of Sukkot. This is the behavior of Sukkot, waving palm branches, singing Hoshiana. And all of a sudden, you realize, wow, these two things are connected. That's pretty cool. The beginning and the end. He declares the end from the beginning. You look at Yeshua and you say, what's going on here? He's part of this prophecy, not just to bring Israel to full maturity, but to incorporate the obedience of the peoples into that maturation to maturity. He washes his garments in wine. Remember, wine is what you drink at Sukkot. Not that you wouldn't drink it at Passover, but because it's associated with the first fruits. And his robes in the blood of grapes. So we've got the vine, vine, wine, wine. Basically, <laughs> his eyes are dull from wine. Okay, so we've got vine, vine, wine, wine, wine. And his teeth white from milk. It's like you can hear the the breaks going on right there. Wait a minute, his teeth are white from milk. But the prophecy has just given us a GPS of Sukkot. Vine, vine, wine, 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 and all this milk. Where does that come from? Again, we can go back up here and see how do you mature? Well, if you don't have teeth, then you're not going to eat the mature meat. If you don't have teeth, you really have no business drinking wine. (laughs) Wine is not for babies. Milk is for babies. And we can see this in this blessing of Judah. Through Judah and through the Messiah, we can see our growth from milk, our teeth white from milk. Once we grow teeth, then we can begin to engage in the maturing process to go from the milk to the meat. Right. So let's look at, at how the lion is helping us understand the vine, vine, wine, 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 milk thing that's going on here. We'll look at it again in relation to the three-foot festivals, Passover, Shavuot, Sukkot. Uh, We know that Passover is the first principles. That's your milk. That's your foundations, your first principles. But then we grow. Just like he brought them out of Egypt and then he took them to Mount Sinai and he gave them the Torah. He didn't just give them the big two or the big ten. As they stayed there, Moses began to teach them the rest of it because they had engaged in a covenant and said, We will do, we will hear you, you, Moses, you go ask him the rest of it, and then you come back and teach it to us, which is exactly what he did. And then as they grew, they were growing toward a particular Sukkot. And I think the particular Sukkot we're interested in is the millennial reign. You know, each year as we as we walk through Sukkot, we're practicing, you know, life in the millennial reign when everything, when all the harvest has come in and we've grown to a maturity. So from Pesach, the milk that we receive at salvation, they, they teach us the fundamentals when we're saved. And then as our awareness grows, he brings us to Shavuot. He brings us to the fullness of the Torah. And we make a commitment. Are we are we ready for that covenant or not? And if we make the commitment, then he will bring us to a maturity by Sukkot. And we kind of go through that cycle every year, growing at a at a newer, new level, unless we have refused to grow. Like we saw the letter to the Hebrews or Paul rebuking. If we refuse to grow that year, then you're you're pretty much you've got the same menu. And he can't take you to a deeper level of his word and intimacy with him until you do that growing that he prescribed for you to do. Because it's principle on principle. You're not going to get this principle if you don't have this principle. Everything has to grow naturally. So there there were three types or three stages of lionhood that were mentioned in the blessing to Judah. There was the whelp, the lion's whelp, the cub then the lion, and then the lioness. Let's look at that again. Judah is a lion's whelp. He lies down as a lion, and as a lioness, who dares rouse him up, right? So I've stuck the the those three stages right there on Shavuot, so it'll remind us how Shavuot is kind of the hinge for this growth process. At the beginning, Symbolized by Passover, symbolized by your salvation. You're like a lion cub. You're a baby, and who looks after the babies? Well, in a lion's pride, mom pretty much. Mom does most of the hunting and taking care of the babies, and and the the king of the jungle pretty much just sits there and looks pretty, and, <laughs> and then then comes to supper. But uh, you don't want to rouse him up. That's that's the thing. Uh, he may not do a lot of work, but he. he Can definitely use his teeth if he needs to. So we've got the cub. And then it says the lion, the mature male. And then the last one, it says, as a lioness, who dares rouse him up? All right. So this is not a, a gender problem. This is showing you maturity and job or task. The cubs, not much is expected out of them at all. Not much. Um, they're basically their assignment is to grow, listen to mom and grow. Then you you get to the the mature lion stage. But then he mentions the third is the lioness. What does the lioness do? Well, she is going to, again, she, if it's just a lion, the lioness actually does most of the hunting, uh, you know, obtaining the food, but. The important thing on this paradigm, I think, is the lioness is going to bear the young and protect the young and nurse the cubs. She's going to nurse the cubs. So what's happening here is the the closing of the circle from cub to mature lion. And then for the lioness, she will, in her maturity, the lioness will have babies And then she will begin to nurse those babies and bring them to maturity. And so the cycle never ends. No matter which stage you're in, you're in. Cub, lion, or lioness. Uh, Remember the apostles, was it in Thessalonians? Was it Paul who said, remember that we were gentle among you as a nurse cherishes her children? That, That nursing part of apostleship. The the lioness, he brings that up, that when you're dealing with cubs, you have to give the pure milk of the word. But it's also their responsibility to grow. They can't keep following mom around all the time. They have to grow in the word. They have to grow to maturity. And so we go through that cycle each year. The lioness, what will set her apart? I mean, remember it's barley at Passover, wheat at Shavuot, Other things will mature in the interim, but you're not going to get the first fruits of the wine or the olive oil until Sukkot. You can have the first fruits of the other things just because of the growth cycle, but the wine and the oil are very exclusively associated with Sukkot because that's their time. Uh, But the olive oil is very much like the lioness When we look at her position, as uh, we can paste that over there on Sukkot, because she's starting the the new cycle. In fact, in the synagogues, they'll re-roll the Torah scroll at Sukkot, because you've gotten to the end of the Torah readings, you re-roll it, and now you're back at the beginning again. You start again with Bereshit, to show you that there's no beginning and there's no end to the word. The lioness is functioning in that role. She's showing you that there's there's really no beginning and no end. It's just a cycle, a renewal of the cycle. And so the wine and the olive oil, they have a, a special place here at Sukkot. The olives are just beginning to ripen at Sukkot. I mean, just be- If you've ever been in Israel at Sukkot, you've probably seen people out there harvesting olives because they are just beginning uh, to turn black, And you'll see them spread the blankets out underneath and and start harvesting. Uh, So it's only a first fruits. And like I said, we have to pay attention to what would be the processing time in in the natural realm. Well, you still might be processing your wine because at Sukkot, you're going to have new wine, new wine. But it's going to take you a while again to, to process all this wine. And you may not have the tithe of the wine. Until again, you're going to move through the the winter months, the rainy months, still processing your wine, and it may be that that you're not going to tithe off of it until quite a bit after Sukkot, and it has to be the same with the olive oil. Uh, With the olive oil, there's a long process of extracting that oil out of the olives. They they have to be harvested, they have to be pressed. Sometimes they'll go through additional pressings. They're going to have to be stored. And it's typically a cooperative effort. It's not just one person. It's going to take a a whole community of olive growers to take the olive through this processing time. Yeshua spent his evening after the Passover in Gethsemane, Gatshemen, which is right across the valley from... The Temple Mount, and it means olive press. And he was literally pressed out there until he was pressed so hard, olive oil didn't come out of him, but blood did. He was being pressed, and so again, you can see at the Passover, he declared the end from the beginning. He might have been about to be the Passover Lamb, but he's on the mountain of olives. He's he's in the olive press. So, you know now that there's a reason there's three types of lions mentioned in Judah's blessing, because this is the the tribe of King Messiah. The cub in Hebrew is gur, gur ariyeh, gur ariyeh. So they're translating that out as a young lion or a cub. There's an interesting play on the word, though. Gur, uh, which means young. Shares the same root for gear, which is stranger, a sojourner. So the cub is standing in as the newcomer to the covenant. And one thing to remember is even though the tribes had different blessings, it's not thought that, well, Judah gets this blessing, but Naphtali gets that blessing, but Don gets that blessing. That's not the way it works. They all shared all the blessings. It's just that. Particular blessings were more characteristic of certain tribes. And so just like you might see um, maybe a type of Messiah in Samson, a lot of messianic characteristics associated with him. He was not the Messiah, but he was a prophecy of Messiah. He was from the tribe of Don. The first king was Shaul or Saul. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. but the particular blessings, they, they were more concentrated in that particular tribe. So all the, the tribe's blessings, we can go back and see some aspect of Judah's blessing that would also extend to them in the same way that some of their blessings are going to extend to Judah. That makes sense. Just like when you're looking at that menorah, it looks like it's seven branches. It is, but it's one Holy Spirit. They were beaten out of one piece of gold. So one Holy Spirit, even though you might see it manifested with seven characteristics, such as, you know, the wisdom, understanding, counsel, uh, power, knowledge, and reverence. One piece, one Holy Spirit. So in Judah, we can see the process. All the peoples are going to be blessed through Judah. All peoples are going to be blessed through Shiloh, through Messiah of the tribe of Judah, the lion of the tribe of Judah. And the lion itself shows us the growth. So as the gear or the young cub, the stranger comes in, the idea here is they're moving in, they're not moving out. Why is the stranger even with Israel? Why would you go there? Because you're moving in. You're like Cornelius, you're moving in, you're learning. You're not completely there yet. You can't learn overnight. The children of Israel took 40 years to learn. You can't learn overnight. You're going to have to pace yourself. You don't acquire everything in a moment, but you acquire it as you walk each year. And so this youth, this stranger, this sojourner, this young cub, you welcome him or her in and you teach. You nurse them on the milk. But we can see if if we apply this principle to what the writers of the New Testament are saying to the gillian, they're saying you can't stay on milk forever. And I think we get really messed up because we look at the, the issue of circumcision and focus on it out of focus with everything else when you put it into the context with everything else that's understood about this walk, then you can see where the the newcomers were being pushed into doing something they weren't ready to do because the, the circumcision is for people who are skilled in the commandments. They're experienced in the commandments for a Jewish person. They're going to be circumcised on the eighth day. That means they've spent their whole life walking and living the commandments. You can't expect a young cub to come in, be circumcised, and instantly know what idolatry is. They've probably been idolaters their whole lives. And so just being circumcised, you know, that's not going to change what you don't know tomorrow. They needed a natural process, just like the children of Israel who weren't circumcised again, Until they reached the Jordan River and were getting ready to to cross into the promised land. They were allowed a growth process with Moses. And so, yes, you start out nursing like a lion cub, but you're supposed to grow to maturity. And then once you reach that maturity, you're supposed to be like a lioness who can now bring others to maturity, who can now, like he said, by now you should have been a teacher. You should be a lioness you should be bringing others through their milk stage and maturing them. And I think that's great. I think that's a great example to help us understand and and put things in a better perspective. And like I said, the olives don't really ripen. They begin ripening at Sukkot, but it's going to take a lot of time to get them processed. In fact, it'll take so long to get them processed You really don't expect to see those uh, first fruits or ties in fullness until the next Passover. Again, depends on microclimates, depends on how fast you can process it. So it could be that those first fruits are delayed even until the next Passover. And what does that create? A never-ending cycle. It might be that some of your wine is not processed until the next Passover where you could bring it in. Again, it creates a seamless cycle. So the, the end starts a new beginning. Okay. So what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to grow from our Passover milk until we're ready to sit down at the banquet and eat solid food, like grown-ups. Right? The inheritance is for the mature. Uh, it's just like a six-year-old cannot inherit, well, he he can on paper inherit his father's corporation, but he does not have the skills. He will have to be tutored. He will have to learn things. He will have to acquire things in order to inherit the, the supervisory role over his father's corporation. So until then, is that period unimportant? No, it's very important because everything that he learns between that time and when he takes over the corporation is going to give him the skills to be able to administrate. Inheritance is for the mature. You might have an inheritance set aside for you, but until you mature into your inheritance, you will not inherit. And so let's speaking of grapes and grapevines. What do we say Vine vine wine. If you and you can Google it, you can just pull it up and probably I'm guessing Google Ezekiel's millennial uh tribes and see how the the tribal allotments are different instead of kind of scattered here there and everywhere with no the boundaries are are kind of you know it's not what would we say it's it's not symmetrical if you're ocd it would drive you crazy <laughs> looking at the the tribal allotments in the time of Joshua but if you look at the millennial reign the tribal allotments have changed they will shift and it looks like just straight rows going across it's different and the rabbis notice and they say this is a vineyard this is the actual vineyard of Israel because it represents their maturity in the time of Joshua they had not reached the level of maturity that they would need for the millennium. That generation did achieve a level of maturity, but not fully that which will be needed in the millennium, uh, which is going to have to come through the agency of King Messiah, you know, until Shiloh come. He's going to have to give us those tools. And so at that time, Israel will look more like the vineyard. How do we know Israel is a vineyard? Psalm 88, verse 8. Tells us you removed a vine from Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. And so from that vine he removed from Egypt, he's planting a vineyard. And then if we look at Psalm 128, one through four, it clears up some things for us. It says, How blessed Ashrei. Kind of remember that for next week. We're going to talk about the tribe of Asher and how it represents a blessing on daughters that's hidden within the text. But how blessed, Ashrei, is everyone who fears, Yile, the Lord. Remember, the, the spirit of reverence or the spirit of fear is Yerat, Adonai. And so it's the last of the seven spirits of Adonai. It it lines up with Sukkot. So it's like there's a maturity. If you fear Adonai, you've achieved a level of maturity. And then we're told the reverence of Adonai is the beginning of all wisdom. Wisdom is the first one. See how they're seamless? Sukkot to Pesach. Pesach leads to another Sukkot. Sukkot leads to another Pesach. So how blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways, who walks in his ways. That's his word. That's his covenant. That's his Torah. When you shall eat the fruit of your hands, you will be happy. Ashrei. And it will be well with you. These fruits, remember, you you rejoice with these fruits of the ground at Sukkot in maturity. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine within your house. Right? The fruitful vine is Israel. The house is the temple. Your children like olive plants. And if you go back to that Hebrew word, it means like the little slips, the little tiny you know, a shoots that you'll take and you'll transplant. You'll start a new tree from one of these. So your children will be like olive slips around your table. Behold, for thus shall the man be blessed who fears Yoreh, the Lord. Remember Yoreh, Yoreh Adonai, the seventh spirit. It goes with your seventh feast, which is fullness, which is maturity. So if your wife will be like a fruitful vine, Within your house, then she's like the lioness. Mm -hmm. Israel will be like the lioness. And what does she have? Children like olive plants. Remember what we said about the olive plants? They're just beginning, the trees are just beginning to yield at Sukkot. So, just like the lioness, you know, having new cubs, the same principle is here. Your wife will be a fruitful vine within your house, your children like olive plants. So there will be a new crop that that begins. There will be new cubs by Mm. Passover, right? And so as we look at those tribal allotments, we can see why he's using a vineyard to illustrate why those tribes will be arranged like a vineyard in the millennial reign because they will have achieved this level of maturity. They will have achieved this fruitful vine within the temple. And what will happen? Now they can begin to disciple the nations. They will have children like olive plants around the table. Why at the table? Remember the table, the banquet of solid food is at Sukkot. And so at Sukkot, the children can engage the table. They can get that vision because remember, you know, Zechariah, he says in the millennial reign, the nations will go up to Jerusalem at the Feast of Sukkot, the Feast of the Nations. And so they will be like those children, like those olive plants around the table. And the word is gonna go forth from Jerusalem. The Torah is gonna go out from Zion. Where is it gonna go? It's gonna go to the nations to grow them up too, to bring them to a level of maturity. Thank you for exploring the Torah portion with us. For more information on this ministry, go to thecreationgospel.com You can find links there for our newsletter, books, workbooks, Facebook, and our YouTube channel.